Hello, I'm Amber Lauva and welcome back to another episode of the Fashion Avenue podcast. I created my blog Fashion Avenue nine years ago and I'm now in my second year of podcasting, which has just absolutely flown by. I love being able to bring you interviews with some of the industry's best and most inspiring identities. Today, I'm chatting to Nina Ergich and Dan Romanen, founders of Australian women's wear label One Fell Swoop. Known for their incredible drapery and tailoring, Nina and Dan have proven that working together for 15 years has absolutely paid off. If you want to know how they've kept their partnership alive for so long, how they adapt as the years go by, and their tips on mastering their signature techniques, then make sure you keep on listening to this episode of the Fashion Avenue Podcast. Nina and Dan, thank you so much for joining me on the Fashion Avenue Podcast podcast. Thanks for having us. No worries. I thought I would jump straight in to everything fashion. So when did you realize that you were interested in fashion and why design specifically? Um, I suppose for me it started in high school. I I did a lot with, uh, in the art um, sector but then um, in that, that part of the schooling and then I suppose I kind of just naturally veered towards it. It just organically really kind of happened. I just I always liked figure drawing, I always liked the silhouette, um, and I suppose uh, it just, it really quite naturally, I just was drawn to creating on the body. Amazing. And what about you, Nina? Uh, quite similarly, I think during high school, I took an interest in more textile-based courses that I did during my, like during high school, I also did integrate one of our classes outside of school in textiles, and that's when I sort of really started to, like, we enjoy the art and really appreciate it, and then the only opportunity in course was in fashion that took my interest at the time so it wasn't like I had this burning desire to do it but it was sort of the only thing that took my interest at the time and so I yeah, enrolled in the course and further forward that's how we both met. Wow so how did you in the course how did you become friends and how did that all uh, come about that partnership come about? Well and initially we weren't friends um, we actually <laughs> kind of like didn't like not didn't like each other we just kind of on different sides of the fence let's just say that um, and then um, in second year, it was clear that our work ethic was very similar and that we both had um, like a real desire to uh, learn as much as we could, um, whether we were wrong about it or right about it. We just wanted to, to absorb as much as we could. And I think that passion in both of us, um, like it was, it was pretty hard not to form a bond or like, you know, a union because we were really like-minded. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and, and when did you realise that there could be something there if you joined forces? Probably in the third year. I think we worked very, very closely on our final graduate collections, which were very different to each other, but there was a bit of similarity and our textiles were sort of similar. Daniel being much more heavy-handed and one sort of maybe a little bit prepared back at times. Um, but there was this very there was this bond as a friendship, but also aesthetically very, very similar. We worked a lot outside of school hours during different projects and that's sort of where we I suppose there was no other thought process going through our minds at the time other than finishing the collection um, that was our final graduate and then moving on to do and to be part of the industry so the only way to do it at the time was to go off and start a brand or a little label we actually sort of yeah did it that you know with that sort of much thought because that was the only option. There were no really other jobs that we wanted to, we could have gotten at the time within the industry. There were, um, you know, other designers and stuff. And so we definitely were very clear that we would go off and try this as soon as we finished college, which is what we did. Yeah, wow. And what skills did you each bring to the table that you brought into the partnership? 
Uh, well, I mean, they, they change as the years go on. Like, we each bring a different kind of facet to um, every part of it. So, like, initially, some uh, one of us may have been more heavy in design and that slowly graduated and then it comes back. It's kind of like a constantly evolving thing. And I mm-hmm. suppose that's how we keep our product fresh and innovative is, is that, like, we, as we see a strength in one another, that we let that naturally come across and then and and then obviously that can kind of burn out or can be a little bit like less present and then somebody else you know comes up so it's kind of really hard I think the thing that I think we both bring is just that still that same desire to constantly evolve and constantly learn and constant and be the best that we can be which is like what we want for the label which is effectively like our offering to to society I suppose yeah. I suppose the brand has also evolved so much over the years and aesthetically developed and changed that it's called for different um, different roles to be born and nurtured have to be nurtured at a particular time. So that's sort of just what happens, I think, naturally. I think it's a long time ago that we lost ego as such where initially when you start a brand and when we did this initially, I felt myself that we were all very protective of what the role was and how much both wanted to be inclusive in this design process and things like that. But as, as you grow from being a small little label into a slightly larger scale business model um, and a slight, you know, a national brand, you have to diversify your role and you have to just let go of what you want to be doing and really nurture the brand in the area that it requires at the time. And I think we did that so easily and just organically. It was no, not even a discussion. It was just you fell into a role that you're best suited at the time. After 15 years or, you know, even after 10, yeah. It went, if I'm designing something on the mannequin, I know that I'm designing it with Nina in mind because I know what Nina, like I've known her for 10 years. We work together every single day for 10 years. So wow. I don't need her to do it. I can do it for both of us or she yeah. can do it for both of us. It's, even though one person might physically be doing it, it's for the, the better of the team, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And that's across all different areas too. So it's very... Um, yeah. And like 15 years ago, social media wasn't even a thing. Oh so like, Yeah, and how much have you noticed that the fashion industry has changed since when you started? Well, like Lena said, I mean, there were, um, there were internships um, around, but I feel like, uh, you know, uh, students these days, it's international market is so open. Like you can get an internship with somebody overseas like quite not easily but it's it's not such a foreign thing whereas in our time it was effectively unheard of like you really had to have a lot of backing behind you like you had to have parents or like you had to be lucky effectively um because you know there's a lot of government funding now that is you know really great um but back then there really wasn't that much so i suppose the change i've seen is like globally like things are a lot more open you know like being able to access um, textiles from all over the world isn't like such a foreign, fearful thing. It's actually just a simple like WeChat or a you know uh, email away. Whereas back in the day, I really feel like that was qu- quite a hindrance in um, Australia. I suppose. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Like the timeline would just be so much faster now. Yeah. Well, yeah. That um, you know that is not necessarily such a good thing either. Yeah, I feel like. Exactly. Um, you know, people are overproducing and I think mm. things are, I think the beauty of what people are actually trying to create gets lost in the um, the drum of profit. Yes, really. yeah. Fast fashion isn't always, 
Well, it's definitely not um, ethical. Or, you know, it's not really. Um, it's, it's not good for. It's just not good for like the society either. Like, yeah. you know, people, you want people that have jobs that they're. It's not just so they're not just machines churning out things. It's like you know something that they can look at and be like, "I'm proud that I made that." Or yeah, yeah. I feel like that that sentiment of skill of somebody being able to create a garment is lost in this machine of it just being sewn. Yeah. And as a designer, I guess for you, the thought and process behind it would be half the fun, right? It's half the pain, really. <laughs> <But yeah. laughs> well, if you put it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, like, you know, you want it to be perfect. And yeah. sometimes, like, we'll like, we'll spend, like, weeks on one particular dress. Yeah. Because we trial everything on the mannequin. We don't do sketches or anything. Yeah, I um, like that. It's like there might be just one scene that's not sitting right and we will literally have to sample it, like, how many times? Like yeah, seven to ten times. Seven to ten times. Wow. And you have to try it in all the different fabrics. And, of course, like the fabric that it's sold in is silk. So, like, we're, you know, making all these silk dresses, hoping that, like, the seams are going to sit better. And you know, so it can be quite painstaking in that aspect. Yeah. But when it's right, it's really rewarding. Yeah, you're cheering when it's right. Yeah, and it can fit, like, everybody shape and, you know. Yeah. Like, that's that's real, luck. Real, real luck. I think we... Get a lot of um, pride out of that. Totally. And do you remember your first look or your first collection together? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what was it and what inspired it? Uh, back then we were very into um, kind of like darker, like Victorian. Um, yeah. Aesthetic. And Aesthetic, it was just yeah. over the top and it was so unwearable. <laughs> so we were so proud of it at the time. And we actually I mean, really and we, did, we, we, did, we, did, we did win the state startup lot. We did, oh. but I mean... It was quite funny at the time. If you look back at it now, I still think it is really beautiful. Yeah. It's just very um, <laughs> <laughs> over the top. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and so, what was your and I guess thinking back to then, what was your initial plan for the brand, and did you think that it would get or go as far as it has? Do you know what we were really? We were kids, and we just wanted to do what we can. We were so, like, I was very fearful of, you know, just doing a course and falling into the background and just not, you know, actually utilising anything that I learned and getting a job that was just, you know, mundane. And so I, there was a real fear to, like, I just, not to, to succeed in terms of money, but to succeed in terms of, like... Recognition. Yeah, and, like, being able to, like, feel proud of what we had created. So I think mm-hmm. we really did take it day by day. Um, every win was like, you know, amazing and every like fail was like hard hitting. But I think, um, I don't know. Uh, I we didn't really have a long-term plan. I think that initially it was a short, it was like, a, I never, I never personally thought of it as a stepping stone or something that would not be around for a long time because we worked so hard and uh, we put everything that we could in it every single day, um, financially and emotionally and invested everything that we had and so have our families to help us through it. So it was never like that. But I think our plan, our business plan, that wasn't really that we had one. It was just we wanted to get into as many stores as we could. Mm-hmm. We wanted to see our product worn by women, um, you know, in our local community, nationally, and always hope for international presence. So yeah. I think that hasn't really changed much from there. All it has changed is that we've grown over the years. We've broadened our audience. Our aesthetic is adapted to um, our market. Our clients um, and what their demand is, and 
we're still fine-tuning and our five-year, ten-year and ongoing plan and vision is still the same is to get our dress, our garment onto as many women as we can and yep. to make them feel beautiful and, you know, make them desire and treasure the product that we make. So that sort of Yeah, that sort of hasn't really changed much over the years. I think the only thing that has changed is our recognition of it. Obviously, getting bigger, we had to... We didn't have to, but we, like we, you know, we got marketing people on board and, mm. um, you know, accountants and bookkeepers and getting them to, you know, do these kind of analysis and whatnot. It's formalized what we already had in our head. So yeah. now we've actually got like a, a mantra, or, you yeah. know, uh, of what we do. And, 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 but, but back in the day, it was just in our head. Um, mm. it wasn't like formal, uh, which is, you know, now it's more strategic. Definitely yeah. something that creators do, like not, you know, write business plans and all yeah, that. Yeah, totally. But, but, you know, um, for the, the livelihood now, Nina and I, you know, we had to not take it seriously. We always did, but we had to employ those more biz- practical um, aspects of the business. So. Yeah. And, and something that I've, I've spoken about with some past podcast guests who are bringing on staff is that they have trouble sometimes letting go and giving up some responsibility. <laughs> Did you find that? Uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, funny that you say that. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, well, that's definitely in the position that we've been in this year. Um, yeah. But actually we have, um, unfortunately, because of what, everything that's happened, we've had to... Uh, put uh, them on hold. We had two staff members working with us for the um, previous collections and it actually it worked really well. Like, um, you know, um, uh, Nina had um, Mia who was helping her with all the social media and marketing and online stuff and I had somebody that was helping me draft patterns um, of designs that we had done and it, it like, and it was, we made like a really great collection. Just, um, yeah, it worked seamlessly and it was really a really nice experience, I think, for all of us in the studio. It yeah. was pleasant, it was fun and productive and we were really, really happy. But then unfortunately, this you know, crisis has happened yeah. and, you know, and now yeah. it's, um, it's hit, hit all of us and I suppose like it really damaged the... Well, because that collection is the collection that was actually selling when it all hit. So Right, okay. But, right. Wow. It's, it's so, well. Yeah, wow. It's so crazy that... You know how everything's just kind of flipped on its head at the moment. Yeah, it is. It's insane. I like you, if you had said three weeks ago or a month ago that this is the, the state that we would be in, I would have. I don't know. I would have maybe laughed. Yeah, I know. Like even it's, a year ago, imagine someone saying that to you, you would have been like, "No way." There's no way. No, absolutely not. Yeah, that, that would just be such like an outlandish thing to say. Well, and I think because like um, you know, like Nina and I work in the studio. Um, Obviously, we do socialise, um, but we're kind of like, it, we're in our bubble, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, like, I, I live in the studio, so I don't have a television, so like, I don't really like watch the news and all of that kind of stuff, so I literally am in a bubble. Yeah. And so when that all happened, like, I remember a friend coming over saying that she couldn't get toilet paper, and I was like, what, why? Why can't you get toilet paper? Oh That's my ridiculous. God. I've got some out the back. Do you want it? Like, and <laughs> she's like, have you not watched the news? And I'm like, no. What's happened? Right. Oh I know goodness. that's really ignorant, but we I was act we were actually designing the collection. So yeah. I, I literally like am in lockdown. Yeah, happened. you're in your zone. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god! And so, just to sign up with the brand, can I ask where did the name One Fell Swoop come from? Um, well, we had um, in our first studio, um, we had uh, a little uh, table in the hallway, 
And every single time, it just had a little diary. And every time we heard a, a nice phrase or, you know, a lyric in a song or anything like that, um, we would write it into the book. And um, I was, like, going through my old high school, like, literature books. That, so there was, like, Shakespeare. And so I, like, flicked through and, you know, read a couple of things. And, and then what we would do is highlight the ones that we liked. And at the end of the day, that was the one that... Um, Stood out, and also, as I said, we said back then we were quite a little bit, a little bit darker and aesthetic. Mm. It um, it really like signed through, yeah. and I think like the fact that there were three of us at that point, um, and we were all coming together and all doing it in one one go together, it really made sense. But yeah. the phrase actually worked really well for what we were doing. I love I that. Can imagine it something else now. I yeah. can't imagine it being a different name. At the yeah. beginning, I wasn't a fan. Took me a while to get used to it. Like I loved it, but it was kind of like a bit of convincing the dance part to get me to, to sign off on it. Um, probably because I found it a mouthful. <laughs> well, and I and also it really pains me when people say one foul voice. Oh, so, <laughs> no, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> my, I've actually my um, the lady that first gave me my first job, assistant designer when I was studying. Um, she's kind of a um, mentor in a weird weird way um she always says one foul swoop and i swear to god i've corrected her that many times <laughs> and she's just so oblivious to it that she's just like whatever that's the worst it's like when someone just you know mispronounces your surname or something and you're like yeah. no it's not that <laughs> yeah that's like death it's been 15 years come on yeah exactly um yeah. okay so you recently celebrated your 15th anniversary is that right yeah yeah well first congrats that's amazing and that's huge Thank you. especially here in the fashion world how do you keep a partnership going for 15 years what's the secret there oh compromise yeah, i was just about to say compromise compromise yeah. yeah um i think like i mean i i feel like empathy goes a long way as well yeah. you know like you have to put yourself in somebody else's shoes mm. and even if you feel like you're in the ride or something like that you really have to be empathetic to everybody Everybody has a different outlook and a different way of looking at a situation and if you can try and understand theirs, then you're you're going to get further in like building something together. I love that. That's so true. And I think some people lack empathy, as horrible as it uh, is. A lot of people, in this, I like, I'm shocked in how like, I'm empathetic people are sometimes. I think self-awareness and empathy are the two things that lack most in this, especially in this generation, in today's 100%, generation. 100%. I'm always saying it's so funny. I actually said to one of my friends the other day, I said uh, to her, I say it, I've say it. i it all the time, self-awareness is the biggest mm. thing that people need to have. <laughs> yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. And going back to the partnership and making that work, what's been the most challenging part about partnering with someone well other than uh things that i guess on a personal note or or a personality note it's definitely acknowledging and accepting um each other's different work styles and yeah just personality i think once you can accept and appreciate and acknowledge the quality that somebody else has um and let that be the focus yeah. Of dwelling on that. Yeah, like I think, yeah, that's definitely the most important. And, and I, it has been for us. And I think what you said about ego is really important too. I think we're well, letting go of that, like letting go of um, pride and ego, and realizing that what you, what one of us does, we're doing for the benefit of both of us. Mm. Is you know, you, it's like what you were saying about letting somebody else come in and letting go of a particular area. Like you kind of have to do that within 
like yourself. Yeah. I think once you self-reflect and have an internal conversation and then a dialogue between your partner and you realise that both of you have the same goal, effectively everything from then on is done with the same sort of mind, the same same goal in mind, and same sort of thing. There's no there's no issue thereafter, I believe, because you have to just constantly remind whatever hurdle you come against, or whatever argument you might have, or hit a moment at a particular time. You walk away with effectively you're working the same goal, and yeah. each you know. So then, when you walk away with that sentiment, you kind of sit on it for a little bit. Everything is resolved much quickly after that. Communication <laughs> changes lives. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And what's been the most rewarding part? Oh, look, it's been so many. I mean, it's, we're not really one to be like, oh, winning that award, doing that. I think for me, um, like, there was like an obviously a struggle to pay yourself. Um, and so for a very, 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 very long time, me and I worked other jobs um, and, and then did this um, as well. Uh, so, like, we were, like, constantly working, I think, the day that we were able to pay ourselves, yeah. um, that was like incredible for me. Yeah. But it's that, like, you know, that when we talk about what was one of our goals, that was, yeah, one, that was one of our goals. Yeah. yeah to, be, to get to a point where we could pay ourselves and live off this dream of, you know. Yeah, and this art and also, you know, and once that happened, obviously, that was to be able to be here and so we focus on this and it went from you know being perceived as you know we always believed that it wasn't just a hobby but it was perceived by our families and our friends and our circles that it was our hobby not our not our career because mm. we were never really solely in it we had to sort of do other jobs and manage other things which nobody really ever I think took notice of how difficult that was yeah. people just assumed that we were not really so serious so I think as soon as we were able to be uh, focus on this brand full time and pay ourselves. That was a huge milestone, and I think to this day the biggest one for both of us. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I think like um, I don't have a license, so like Nina's obviously does a lot of the drought driving and stuff, which is amazing. I think um, we bought out like a van for the business, mm-hmm. and seeing Nina drive that into the back, and she was like. I was super excited. She was pretty happy. I don't want to say a big in mind, but like she was super happy. And that actually was a really nice moment. I really enjoyed that. That was a great moment. Oh, that's lovely. I love that. That's awesome. And fashion is always changing. There's always a new trend. How do you keep a fashion brand going for that long? And how do you adapt? See, I think that's the one thing that I really love about doing um, those exercises that we've done um, with. Uh, our accounts and marketing people is we we are so removed from trends and I think that's why our product is so authentic because it literally is just about elevating an experience making somebody feel the most beautiful that they can mm-hmm. um, so I, like it's just I think for me it's not so much about staying on trend it's about constantly evolving a silhouette constantly evolving our technique our drape like yeah. um because i think they're timeless like i we we always get um women that have come to us who have said you know i bought this dress seven years ago i still wear it blah 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 oh, and that's nice. why when my daughter's getting married the first like you were the first guy that i think of oh. to come and get a dress from or like <laughs> vice versa um you know i got I got my U12 ball dress from you guys and, like, I still still wear it and now I'm a bridesmaid. 
Yeah, oh, yeah. That's or nice. I'm getting married. And I like that where where we are a part of those special moments yeah. for people that our pieces are time space that they're like you have them to like enhance this these defining moments in your life. And I like that we can be a part of that. And I think that's why trend wise we don't really relate to it because we want to be classic. We want to be forever. Yes. Yeah, and I think a, a balance of that, um, what Daniel was saying, as well as in recent years with media being so heavily, um, social media being so heavily present in everyone's brand and business model and strategy, there's been a lot of um, sort of, I suppose data is a big influence because you collect all this information from people that you're directly dealing with, whether it be your direct consumer or through your online platform or your Instagram. or So, you know, it would be so ignorant to ignore that. So what you do with staying true to your DNA aesthetic and your art, you're also considering all of the data you're collecting, how people are responding, what they're responding to, and just really listening to the demand of your your core client. Um, and that's sort of how we've kept it relevant. Um, yeah, you true. sort of have to listen to what people are demanding and the needs change, the consumer needs change quite often. Okay. So we sort of have to be responsive to that. I well. think we're responsive, yeah, but we, we respond to it in, in terms of what our market is yeah. from yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. You know, like if they're like, you know, they're asking for something a bit longer or they're asking for something a bit shorter because they love the, the, the pieces that we have there yeah. and they yeah. want to wear it more often. And, you know, so yeah. I, I, we obviously stay really in touch with our database and, um, and the, uh, the women that we design for, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, and that's super important. You know, you need to listen to your to your customers because they're the ones who, at the end of the day, they they're the ones that are helping you still pay yourselves and pay your staff. Correct. And yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, and they're the people that you want. You like. They're the people that you want to support as well because they're yeah because they're supporting us. Yeah. So, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. And how do you balance creativity? Uh, with making your designs commercial at the same time and how do you know when to pull the reins? That's something that we struggle with every day. Wow, okay, yep. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's hard because, like, you see something and it'll be so amazing and calico and you're like, this is really cool. But then you're like, ultimately, how many people are you going to reach with this? Yeah. You, you might be able to reach, you know, X, Y, Z, but, you know, making these slight alterations, which isn't bastardising it or anything, like what we were saying before, it's compromise. Yeah. You're reaching so many more women. You're you're accessing, um, you know, a larger client base, an older, younger client base. Like, so you're appeasing more people. And so I, I, I feel like it's not so much um, kind of reining it in. It's like that that decision where it's like, do you, do you want to be, do you want this shape, which is beautiful, to, to reach the broadest market it can? Or are you that? Do you really want it to be this? You know, a particular kind of signature, or uh, how would you but, call it? Um, like showpiece kind yeah, of. Yeah, showpiece. But I also, if in, in this dialogue of dissecting each brand, each garment, which we do go through each season, uh, and sort of you, you discuss the style and who it's for and all that kind of stuff that you would need to do and consider when designing a commercial collection. What's also on the other side of that really worrying them is that for us, with some little time going, it will be bordering it down too much. Are you losing? Because you worry about that the as DNA. well. You worry yeah. about it, you're going to lose your DNA, but you also worry yeah. that you're yeah, going to be too washed up once it's finally in the market three, six, 12 months from now because we design in such lead, long lead times that you kind of, and then you consider obviously your peers and your other, what else is in the marketplace and how that product will fit and you go, okay, 
well, we don't want to water it down too much. So it's a very, very fine balance of refining something from being a little bit out there uh, and keeping the commercial commercial um, aspect of it like, valuable, but then also losing the, the creators. And it's also, um, I suppose, being uh, made solely in Australia, we ha- we're very cautious of price points. Right. And, you know, there's so many, like, for instance, bias cut slips in the market and, you know, a majority of them are made elsewhere um, at a much cheaper price point. Mm. For us to put a bias cut slip in the market, it has to have our DNA in it. It has to have our signature. It also has to be cut beautifully. Like there can be no, no, like, fit issue or scene puckering. So I suppose because our price point is always going to be higher because, because we make in Australia. Yeah. Oh my God. And that, and that's amazing because so many brands, even, you know, other beautiful labels, they, you know, they mass produced and they, you know, get it made overseas. So to actually be made in Australia and to be supporting, um, you know, Australian creatives, you know, and locally having that, you know, manufacturing, I, 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 it's amazing. I well, I have, and I don't, um, I don't think poorly of anybody that um, produces anywhere else. It's yeah. just for us, like, the women that supported us through, you know, those early years, I like, I, I can't think of not supporting them now because they've grown with the brand. They're part of our DNA. Like, yeah, our seamstresses will come to us and they'll see a sample we're getting done, and they're like, "Why don't we do it like this?" Well, or like, you know, like they're part of this. I love that. Process. That's so nice. Yeah, they well, they care about it as well. Like, yeah, yeah, because they've seen us from being like, you know, twenty year twenty year olds to being whatever age we are now um, <laughs> and, and they've seen they've seen all the changes like they've seen but sometimes yeah. sometimes they will say things like oh that's just terrible you know and they'll do the pretty grand you sometimes and you kind of go you know it's really important to have that feedback from them too because yeah. <laughs> like yeah. one of these one of the dresses that I, I remember making and I showed um, Denise one of our things, and she was like, oh, that's just a mess. <laughs> and so we ended up calling it the mess dress, and it actually did really well, Denise. Oh, my God, really I love well. that. I love that. That's so funny. The brutal honesty, I just, I live yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah. And so you work predominantly with natural fibres. Tell me about that and uh, what you what you use. Well, I think, um, you know, maybe two or three years ago, that was very much the case. I think so much has happened in terms of technology with synthetic fibres. But synthetic fibres that I should phrase that, you know, are made from natural products, but they're just man-made, you know. Um, Like viscose, bamboo. Um, So we have broadened our market and also like our our, um, offering. Um, I think polyester is, you know, it used to be such a dirty word. You think of the, the 90 taffeta like blouse that your mum was wearing with a sweat dripping down her back because it didn't breathe and it was, you know, horrid. But it's not like that anymore. It's not such a dirty word. And a lot of the time, um, you know, you can get recycled polyesters that are made uh, like from um, recycled plastic. And I feel like technology has come such a long way that we, when we first started, we were very focused on silks and cottons and wool. Um, and then... You know, I think naturally, and also for price point, we ha- we have we've kind of 
gravitated towards a mixture of both, the natural and synthetic. But it's also one of those tools and, and changes that come from also wanting to be more sustainable. Sometimes your natural fibres are more damaging to the ecosystem. And so, you know, you make those choices based on other values as well, other than just um, price point and things. So we have had to diversify our product offering um, quite greatly. Yeah. And we're quite happy with it. People are responding to it quite nicely. It's easier to maintain and care for afterwards, which is a big selling point. You know, yeah. silk has a, a long shelf life, but it also has an extensive like care aspect to it where you have to dry, clean it, etc. So mm-hmm. there's lots of different reasons why we've changed um, our offering. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, if it's working and, you know, you're finding the demand, then that's amazing. Yeah. 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 And so, and so drapery is also such a, an outstanding and reoccurring feature in your garments. Why this form of construction and how have you mastered this over the years? Oh, look, a lot of it's trial and error. Um, yeah. I personally, I really like, there's a lot of reconstruction in um, the draping. So like I'll take apart an old garment and um, re, like, you know, completely deconstruct it and then reconstruct it into a different shape. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe using a hemline and a different, like moving it up or like just kind of really playing on the mannequin. It's like sculpting, you know, and yeah. you just kind of get to a point where I think you know, like that is not sitting in the right spot. But I like what, what the technique is doing. Where can I put that technique? How can I use that technique in like a, like a more um, aesthetically pleasing way? So yeah, I, yeah, I suppose it's and you do learn little tricks of the trade um, of um, creating different techniques and twists and stuff like that that you can put into different areas. Um, I suppose it's just like doing it for so long. You yeah. Develop like a like a almost like a handwriting. Yeah. For um, me, it's the unpredictable nature of it and the surprise element of draping. I think there's lots. There's no limitation um, where when you're doing flat patterns and things like that, if you're mathematically minded, you're always just kind of, you know, you're producing amazing pieces, but you're sort of limited in what your technique is because you are doing it flat pattern. Where I think when you're working with uh, a piece of fabric on a mannequin, that's the element of surprise is what I really like. Yeah, I love that. And can I ask, do you have any tips for mastering a skill like that? What tips can you give for young designers? Uh, keep doing it. Uh, <laughs> I had um, um, got a metre of fabric, of calico, a metre square. You just ruched, ruched, like, it's three lines of ruching, wherever you wanted to place it. Yep. Um, and then you used that metre of fabric and you played with it on the mannequin to try and create a shape, as abstract as you want it to be, uh, just, you know, just to create and then draw it down, draw the shape and then recreate it, another one. And that was, I found, a really, like, like interesting um practice to do because you kind of got experience in like looking at how things can fit and move in different places and whatnot. Yeah, I like that. That's really cool. And um, just going back to the brand and uh, looking into the future, um, what do you hope to achieve with One Fell Sweep in the next few years? Um, I really like to see it broaden internationally. Like um, Mm -hmm. I I think that what we offer is so – Signature to us, but also I think it really encapsulates this beautiful lifestyle we have in Australia. You know, it's effortless, it's authentic, it's, um, and there's like an element of nature and romance. Like, I feel like it's an, like, a a beautiful offering to show internationally what Australia, like, what our lifestyle is like, how, 
totally. know, how lucky we are. So not Absolutely. to rub it in their faces. Like, <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I, think yeah. our, I think our brand definitely has a point of a unique, a unique sort of um, point to it. But so do many other Australian brands. And I think when we're likened to certain brands from Australia, I think globally, like you can tell that we are from where we are and we both really love that. We're really proud of that. And yeah, it'll be just really lovely to see us amongst sort of our peers that are sitting on international platforms. Um, that's sort of always been what we're working towards. Absolutely. And, you know, after 15 years, about time, let's get it going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a very successful period until what just happened globally. Oh, but we yes. won't last too long. Yeah, but yeah. impact that this has on people and their families, is, it, it, we can reduce it as much as possible, like all, all of us, you know, helping each other out. Absolutely. Agree. Yeah, it's horrible, but, um, you know, everyone, everyone's in the same boat, so... Yeah, exactly. Got to get yeah. through it together. Correct. Yeah. And uh, lastly, where can we find One Fell Swoop? Well, preferably on our website. No, no, no. <laughs> um, we've, got, um, we've, got, uh, we've got a stock that's all over Australia. So, um, but uh, I think, you know, we really wanted to have that as much as possible, that customer care. So, like, if, if um, we always ask that, you know, just email us, uh, tell us where you, what state you're in and, what you're after. That way we can kind of really cater to what you're looking for. I can make suggestions here, go online here. Um, and, you know, that way we're supporting our retailers yeah, um, as much as we can. And we're giving that instead of just, you know, it just being a genetic generic stock list, we're actually like, oh, you know, you can go here. It's a little bit far out, but I can send this or do this. Um, I think that's, that's very much how we operate. But I love much, that. You know, one-on-one and just like go and figure it out yourself kind of thing. Yeah, that customer care is something that you don't see very often, you know, that really tailored approach. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. good on you. Um, and so I uh-huh. thought I would end things on a few random questions for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so number one, what's one skill you wish you could refine in half the time? Oh, one skill? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you could refine in half the time. Oh, I would definitely say pat, like translating the draping um, to card. Okay, like, interesting. If I could refine that in half the time, I'd be killing it. <laughs> what about and you? Because I always put that part off as well. Oh, it's like, yeah. It's like it's the most like mathematical guess, yeah. aspect of the whole process. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm always scared if I take it apart, I'll never be able to put it back together again. Oh, so, no. So that is one thing I'd really like to get done in half the time. And for me, I think I would like to refine my communication with the people that work with us, like like our centres are the note people. I think that sometimes I feel like if that conversation could be cut in half, our life would be much, much happier. (laughs) My life would be much, much happier. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, And number two, would you – well, do you prefer – Autumn, winter, or spring, summer, and why? It's really hard because, like, but I like I love designing autumn, winter. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally, I like in terms of men's clothing, like wearing autumn, winter clothes more. Yeah, but um, but I just like I love summer. I, yeah. I love summer in Australia, and I think uh, I think like if I had to pick, I would have to say summer because I just like how. You can make something, and it can be so effortless, and and it can just like 
fall over the body and yeah. but look like a million dollars and you can wear it in the sun and, you know you can I feel like it's really fun and it's really who what we're about that kind of um, hedonistic kind of lifestyle yeah I love that I agree yeah I would agree I my aesthetic lends itself more to winter I love layering I love jackets I love wearing sort of very minimal things that are like peeled with a few layers to them mm-hmm. but Design-wise, some of being being based where we are and culturally, you know, our summer is so long. I yeah, yeah I would say I prefer designing for summer because it's um it's a huge collection. It's so much. It's so much fun and color and yeah, it's yeah. more exciting to design for definitely. Yeah, I get really excited over summer, like just for the clothing. I'm just like yes, because you know you don't have to put on so many layers and you can just chuck anything on. It looks amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, lastly, you can only use one colour for your next collection. Which one is it and why? White. White. Yeah. And there's something angelic about And I think you can wear, well, I think white seriously timeless. I think a lot of people go black, you know, forever or whatever, but yeah. I actually think black is nice. Yeah, it's beautiful, especially in summer. Yeah, oh. yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it would be like a... a- cross between like a piney green colour and like a sagey green colour. I don't Ooh. know what that colour is, but somewhere there. Because like now, and that's a great colour on my complexion. Oh, nice. <laughs> Designing for yourself. I, I love know. it. <laughs> so that's the only reason behind that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. You're like, that will look good on me, so I will go with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares about anyone else? It's fine. (laughs) Well, Nina and Dan, you have been amazing. Thank you so much for chatting to me about all things One Fell Swoop and I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Bye.